I long to hear the music of heaven. Your holiness would fill up the room. Your majesty would drown out the darkness. Your melody of love has my heart singing to. Your song is alive and it moves me. Your song is alive and it fills me. Your song is alive. Speak to me. Your spirit's here and now. Your song is alive Deep in my soul You're resonating Your rhythm can change My deepest desires I put my hope your love song Your harmonies resound like a powerful fire Your song is alive and it moves me Your song is alive Your song is alive, speak to me, your symphony of love, song is alive.
song is a lie. Your song is a lie. Your song is a song we could ever sing Worthy of all the praise we could ever bring Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe We live for you We live for you Jesus the name above every other Jesus, the only one who could ever say Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe We live for you, oh, we live for you And holy, there is no one like you There is none beside you Open up my eyes in wonder and show me who you are and fill me with your heart and lead me in your love to those around me. Every song we could ever sing Worthy of all the praise we could ever bring Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe We live for you Oh, we live for you Jesus, the name above every other name Jesus, the only one who could ever say Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe We live for you, oh we live for you Open up my eyes 
Doesn't even have a voicemail. Come on, Jordan. Hello? Yeah, Quack. Yo, what's up? Hey, uh, I'm outside Jordan's house and he's not answering his phone or anything. Maybe he might be shaving. I don't know. That's a big beard, you know. <laughs> Ding dong. Clearly wasn't shaving. Hello, sir. You have uh, breakfast this morning? I had a uh, banana and some coffee. How do you like your coffee? Dark and strong. <laughs> you don't have to be clever. You can just say, you know, nothing in it. Somebody that worked with us on a video project a long time ago, I remember you left the room after we had finished shooting and he told me, I wish Jordan didn't have that like pastor thing where he holds back because he doesn't want to offend anyone. And I just started laughing. Because <laughs> that's clearly not you. No, I rarely get accused of being inoffensive. <laughs> it's more, I told him it's more about you uh, just kind of being introverted. I am the poster boy for introversion. When do you remember as a kid kind of realizing, oh, I'm not as outgoing as other kids around me. My early years, we had to, my family was wanted by the cops, so uh, we had to run around the country. So I was always the new kid. I was always coming in from the margins. And the fact was, I had never gotten to go to a school consistently. Like, nobody knew what I was or wasn't. At a certain point, I decided that I was gonna be a gifted student. I was living alone with my grandmother at the time. We had some friends. I was hanging out with them one day, and they had a son who was like five years older than me. He was a very bright kid and he was in the talented and gifted program. And it just sounded fascinating to me. And then I, I remember asking, well, am I gifted? Mm -hmm. And uh, my grandmother who's, loves me dearly and you know, has supported me forever. Yeah. She actually laughed at me 
Um, and she said, oh, no, honey, you're not gifted. Uh, but not in that way, anyway. And so I got mad. And I said, I am gifted. You'll see. And within like six months, I got into the Talented and Gifted program in California schools. And I think it was just because I got pissed. You know, same thing happened to me at about the same age, but then they put me in the Talented and Gifted program and quickly realized they'd made a mistake. You so flunked out of the Talented and Gifted program. <laughs> so at what point did you have to start talking <laughs> to other people or in front of other people? I think it probably started for me with sports. Sports is a clear world. Yeah. And for a guy who's socially inept. Right. That kind of thing is appreciated. And then at some point, like, we get to where you are now, where every week yeah. you get in front of a crowd yeah. and you have to speak to them. Sometimes it's hundreds, sometimes it's more. You know, right now, because of uh, our, our current situation in the world, it's to a camera. Yeah. What? It's, a, it's an introvert's dream. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. It's probably much easier. But what, when you're speaking to a crowd, like, what, what do you do? What do you have to do that day to get ready? Yeah. So you're kind of thinking about it wrong in my case, because speaking okay. to a crowd, no trouble at all. Interesting. Right? Because I just do my thing. There is nothing more exhausting to me mm. than freestyle socializing. But in the kingdom, that kind of stuff, if you do it right, is really important. The big blessing for me is that when I'm in a social setting, a freestyle setting, I give myself a mission. Mm. It's like, I'm going to bless that person or I'm going to bless these people. And right. it gives me an agenda. You don't have to worry about being cool, right? You don't have to worry about keeping up. Right. Um, you're just trying to do something good. And that is freeing for me and empowering and, and uh, peace giving. And when I figured that out, things got easier for me in the world. So when I approach a Bible passage, um, wherever it is, I always do three things. I think of three things. I try to figure out first what the passage is most about. Okay. The one big thing. Uh, and then I read the passage and figure out what bugs me about this passage. Because if something can bug me about it, then it leads to a proper analysis and learning. And then the third and final thing is that I try to figure out how do I apply this passage to my life? So what's it most about? What bugs me about this passage? And how should I apply it? Uh, and I recommend the same sort of approach to you. Uh, the passage that uh, I want to talk about um, is mostly about what it's like to walk alone with God. Um, which has been a big deal uh, for me in my life. Um, and it's a, it's a story from the life of this crazy Old Testament character named Elijah. Anybody heard Elijah? Elijah's like my guy. Um, and Elijah, if, if you don't know, it's just maybe like the most colorful prophet ever uh, in Scripture. Um, when he first shows up on the scene, he's storming into the courts of a wicked king named Ahab. And he's like, it will not rain in this land uh, 
except by my word. He just declares a drought and it works. And then he has to pray and end the drought later. And he does a bunch of miracles, including a resurrection. And right before this story, he has had a famous showdown against 450 prophets of Baal. And it involves Elijah calling down fire from heaven. I mean, it's like serious, dramatic, intense stuff. And it was life or death because if he had not been able to do uh, the big miracle, he probably would have been put to death. In fact, it was the prophets of Baal who could not do the miracle. So 450 prophets of Baal get put to death in one afternoon. It's just this crazy story. And... uh, Typical of his intense life. He's kind of a lone wolf. Um, When he shows up, he's just alone. He has spent time uh, hiding out from the authorities because the king and queen are always trying to kill him in uh, in a ravine called Kareth where he was fed by ravens who brought him food daily. So he's always been on the margins. He's a marginalized kind of guy. He's an isolated kind of guy. And when he shows up, he just really tries to bring God to his people. Uh, and it's been very dramatic. So here's the story. Uh, memory has just had this showdown, just put 450 prophets of Baal, Baal to, to shame. Uh, blood and guts story. And uh, from 1 Kings 19, 1 through 15. Now Ahab told Jezebel, that's the king and the queen, King Ahab told Queen Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets of Baal with the sword. Jezebel was a big follower of Baal, the false god. So this would have shocked her. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like one of them. Elijah, I heard what you did to the prophets of my God, Baal. I'm going to kill you now. Which is kind of old hat for Elijah. He's been under a death threat for like most of his ministry life. But this time, verse 3, Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the desert. He came to a broom tree and sat down under it and prayed that he might die. He is depressed and a bit suicidal. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the tree and fell asleep. Exhausted, depressed, suicidal. Hmm. All at once, an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around and there by his head was a cake of bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, get up and eat for the journey is too much for you. Ah, what a line. So he got up and ate and drank. And strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Oreb, the mountain of God. This is the mountain that's famous in the history of Israel, the mountain where, you know, Moses went on top to meet God. And it's like way out in the middle of nowhere. It's probably not where the current 
tourist companies say it is. It's way out in the deserts of Midian, middle of nowhere, lonely, lonely spot. And there he went into a cave and spent the night. And the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword, and I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. The Lord said, Go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. I'm about to show up. Then a great and powerful wind tore apart the mountains and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, there was an earthquake and the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. Huge storm, but the Lord's not in that. When Elijah, and after the fire came a gentle whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mount of the cave. When a, then a voice said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? <laughs> Figure it out, son. He replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword, and I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. <laughs> the Lord said to him, Go back the way you came, and go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazael king over Aram. Also anoint Jehu son of Nimshi king over Israel, and anoint Lisha son of Shaphat from Abel Maholah to succeed you as prophet. Goes on with a few more instructions, but that's essentially uh, that's essentially the story. Really dig that story. Been one of my favorite stories since I was a kid. Always related to that guy, Elijah. What bugs me about this passage? Well, the first thing that bugs me about this passage is that Elijah seems to act out of character uh, toward the beginning, right? He's just had this life and death showdown. Uh, he has just seen put to the sword 450 false prophets of this very wicked God named Baal that was worshipped with all sort of sexual weirdness and baby killing and stuff like that. Um, and he has faced down the king and queen before. He's lived under death threats. He had to hide out in the ravine uh, for a long time. He had to go underground to protect himself from the authorities. He's been under threat, you know, for years. But this time, Queen Jezebel, who was a piece of work, says, I'm going to kill you. And this time he freaks out. You know, and he says he gets scared and he runs for his life. And it's just so out of character for him, right? Because, you know, life and death is, is just normal life uh, for Elijah. Uh, so what's going on there? And, uh, and part of the reason I love this story is because, man, I get it. I get it. He's not, he's not really afraid of, of death. He's despairing of his life. And it's different. Uh, it's not, it's not, it's not normal fear that is causing him uh, to flee. It's, it's fatigue and rejection. It's the sense of futility that is driving him to depression. 
And, and you hear that in what he says to the Lord repeatedly in the story. He said, Elijah, what's going on, man? Why are you here? And he says, look, I've been at this a long time and I'm the only one. I'm the, I'm the only one, right? All the others are dead. All your people are rejecting you, dot, 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 which means they're rejecting me. Um, like, what do I have to do to be successful, right? I just faced down 450 false prophets, called down fire from heaven. What does a guy got to do to get a little bit of respect, a little bit of fruitfulness, a little bit of success, a little bit of space in life? That's what's going on here, right? That's what's going on. And the Lord asks him a couple of questions. You know, twice he says, Elijah, what are you doing here? It's because the Lord is trying to help Elijah figure it out. It's like, oh, the queen's trying to kill me. And that's got me freaked out. No, Elijah, that's not what has you freaked out. What's, what are you doing here? What are you doing here? And, and, and Elijah rehearses it twice because he needs to figure it out. I'm just tired of feeling futile. I'm just tired of the futility, right? And you get the impression that maybe Elijah starts to figure it out. Um, you know, uh, I get it. Uh, beautiful story that way. You know, love this story. Um, the second thing that bugs me about this passage is that at the end, you know, where the Lord comes and, and meets with him, I mean, it's all very impressive, right? Um, the angel comes to Elijah when he's collapsed under the broom bush and, you know, and all fatigued and suicidal and praying for death. You know, that's how frustrated and fatigued he is. And the angel comes and feeds him and says, uh, hey, man, eat some more uh, rest because the journey is too much for you. And you get the impression that it's not just like the physical journey, but it's like the journey of life is too much for you, you know. And so it starts, there's some compassion from the Lord there, which I really like. And then when we get to the interaction at the mouth of the cave, it almost seems like the Lord is a little callous toward Elijah. Uh, this Lord, Elijah, what are you doing here? Well, I'm the only one left and it sucks and I'm, I'm feeling very futile. And, and the Lord says, well, I can be impressive, you know, and sends wind and landslides and earthquake and fire. I don't know if that was just like, you know, volcanic fire or fire caused by lightning strikes, but like the Lord can be really impressive. And then the Lord comes in a gentle whisper and you're like, the Lord is going to say something really compassionate, really purposeful, really spot on. And what the Lord ends up saying is, all right, get back to work. That's all he says, right? He says, all right, go back the way you came. I want you to do what you did before. And, uh, and then you're going to anoint this king. You're going to anoint that king. And you're going to raise up an assistant. You're going to train up uh, the next guy, which I don't know. It feels a little callous to me because here's a guy who's broken down, suicidal, exhausted, feeling terribly rejected by everybody who should support him. And the Lord says, you know, get up off your butt and, and get back to work. Um, so then I got to think about that because it bugs me. <clears throat> And, and then I start to think about what the Lord doesn't say. And sometimes what the Lord doesn't say is as significant as what the Lord does say. Because what the Lord doesn't say is, you screwed up. You know, when the Lord says, all right, back at it, it's kind of as if the Lord is saying, well, you've been doing perfectly well. 
All I want you to do is keep going. And there's a weird sort of encouragement in that, right? Um, I, I, so I, I, I get it. I love it. Um, and there's some encouraging guidance in what the Lord says uh, to Elijah. It's like, you know, I'm going to give you an assistant. Um, and then from this point on in the story, what happens is that Elijah, with the help of his apprentice, Elisha, they raise up a school of prophets. They like, they, they reproduce themselves. You know, it's never a huge troop of people, but it's like, it's like a little spirit-filled church plant, you know, the fellow travelers of blue water travelers, um, which is cool. But I think the main thing is that the Lord implicitly, through what he doesn't say, <laughs> communicates to Elijah, you know, you've, you're dragging bottom, <laughs> you're depressed, you're angry, you're feeling terrible. And that in no way disqualifies you in my eyes. I have purpose for you. I have meaning for you. And that is a gesture of respect and honor toward this guy, Elijah. You know, when I was young, uh, the most significant interactions I ever had with my dad were those interactions where we worked on a project together. And both my dad and I weren't big talkers. And so we would go like a day of work without really saying anything to each other. But it was just like the best sort of fellowship and it communicated respect and honor and camaraderie and everything else. And that's what I think of when I read this story. Make sense? Yeah. And then how do I apply this to my life? Well, there's a couple of things that really jump out at me here. And, and the first one is the role of being alone in this story. Um, there's a great arc in the story. What's freaking Elijah out, I think, is that, that he's alone, right? Meaning he's alone in what he's doing, right? He, he thinks that the nation should be rallying around him, that he shouldn't be the only guy facing down the prophets of Baal. He thinks God should be rallying around him, and that if he pulls off great miracles at risk of his life, maybe God doesn't allow Queen Jezebel to kill him. You know, like maybe if God is with him, he shouldn't have to run, you know. And so his complaint is that he's alone. And so his strategy is to be alone, right? He goes as far into isolation as he can think to be. He goes out into the deserts of Midian uh, to Mount Oreb, where there would not be anybody around for miles and miles and miles and miles. And, miles. Um, and, uh, and I get that. I get it, one, because I am like the most introverted guy on planet Earth. Um, and I am refreshed by being alone. Uh, but it's, it's kind of like this. If I'm going to be alone, if I have to be alone, I'm going to embrace being alone. And I'm going to see if I can find strength in it, which for Elijah means I'm going to see if I can find God in it. And I'm going to see if God can find me. And that's the thing about being intensely alone. You're kind of discovering if God can find you there or if he can only talk to you because you happen to be with other people. <laughs> but if you're really alone and really isolated and the Lord is with you, then it's for real. Do you know what I'm saying? You get that? I have done this in my life uh, instinctively. Uh, a bunch of times. You know, there's that saying, you know who you are by how you act when you're truly alone. 
when nobody's watching. Uh, I kind of think you know you know the truth about you and God by the interactions you have with him when you're by yourself. And if you are like by yourself out in the middle of a desert alone, well then those interactions can be quite intense. Um, I've had in periods of aloneness and isolation, I've had interactions with the Lord that are super significant and about which I will never tell anyone. Those are secret. That's between me and God. And I keep them secret because it helps me be an individual before the Lord. It helps me feel like a person before the Lord. Is this making any sense? Uh, I chose this passage for personal reasons, so I have very quirky personal explanations of it. But um, he uses alone in a big way. I love, I love sailing, you know, and uh, I've been keeping track of the Vendée Globe race. I don't know if anybody knows about Julie might know about it, where it's a, it's a single-handed around-the-world race where you get in a boat, a sailboat, and you sail around the world by yourself and race. And you go through the Southern Ocean, which is down around Antarctica, which is the wildest place on earth. And uh, it's a, nobody is in that ocean because it's just so stormy and terrible. And there's a point in the ocean after you, you're rounding the capes, you're around the Cape of Africa, you're around the Cape of South America. And then you're out in the middle of, of this ocean and the only land mass is like Antarctica over here. And there's a point there at which if you're alone on the sailboat, you are closer to the International Space Station than you are to any other human settlement. You know, and they call it Point Nemo. Um, well, you actually, the, the closest humans are the one in space. You know? And uh, so I was watching the internet coverage of the race and thinking, I want to go to Point Nemo. That sounds wonderful. You know, it's like such a pinnacle of aloneness, you know. I wonder if God could find me there. Right? And that's really what my heart is saying. I wonder if God can find me there. And if he found me there, what would he say? Uh, and then the second thing, uh, the application point is something that you've heard me say a lot. The guy is depressed. The guy is suicidal. The guy is just as low as he can possibly be. And ultimately what the Lord says to him is minister. All right, I got stuff for you to do. You know, get back on it. And if you are in a place where you're broken down, right, if you're in a place where you're angry, where you feel futile, where you feel rejected, where you feel suicidal, then the best advice I can give you as a Christian is, Minister. Always minister. Always minister the gospel. Always minister the kingdom. If you are dead suicidal, pun intended, minister. And whatever else the Lord has to do to get you out of your cave, I guarantee you one of the things he'll do is that he will invite you to minister. You are not disqualified from it. In fact, it is vital to you that you do the kingdom stuff always. And what the Lord knows and what he said to Elijah is, um, this is constant for you. Christians, even burnt out ones, always minister.
Hi, my name is Julie. Such good heartfelt reflections from Jordan and what his life is like in the scriptures. Super excited about this sermon series. Over the next weeks, you'll be hearing from a number of different folks in Blue Water uh, and what their life is like with the Bible, their relationship with it, and how they're digging in and what it's doing in and through our lives because it helps develop those um, powerful, steadfast ways that we can kind of stand firm and uh, dig in with God and, and know what he's like. And if you find your way into the Bible, it will find its way into your life. So we really encourage you to um, start developing some routines and you'll get lots of great tips over the next few weeks in doing that. And I would like to invite you now into um, giving. We have a number of ways you can do that on the screen. And if you are visiting, we invite you just to receive the service as a gift. If you're a regular giver, we just thank you so much for your generosity. I forgot to mention, if you need prayer for anything, shoot me an email, I'll have a team call you and they will listen and they'll love on you and they'll lean into God for you. Uh, I've received prayer from many of these folks many times and it's been wonderful and helped my life so much and helped me on my journey. And I would just like to close us in prayer. God, we thank you for this time. We thank you for this season. We thank you for the scriptures, for the arc of what you've written, for us to get to know you, for us to get to know ourselves through it. And I pray that this would be a really sweet time of us gaining really deep understanding of um, the scriptures and what you would like to say to us. Open our ears, open our hearts, and I just bless all uh, who are listening to dig in and um, connect with you through the Bible. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a beautiful week. Aloha.